Welcome to Grace Marietta, where our mission is to awaken each other to live kingdom dreams in a world that's fast asleep. If this is your first time listening, we want to say welcome and invite you to our Sunday gathering, which happens every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and is streamed online via Facebook and YouTube. Thanks for joining us. I'm excited about this. We're wrapping up our series where we've been talking about awakening and we've been talking about kingdom dreams, this idea that all of us are ambassadors of Christ, that all of us have a role in the kingdom. And so how do we discover that role? How do we live into that role? How do we encourage each other to walk in that role? Uh, and, And one of the things that we've realized, especially during kind of this season of COVID, is that sometimes uh, on Sundays what happens is there's much more of a monologue than a dialogue, right? It's, it's I've got the microphone, you all have masks on, just sit and watch and listen and don't say anything and be quiet for 30 minutes. Uh, and so one of the things we want to kind of explore this year, particularly because of this year, I don't know if any of you are like me, but... But I've just, I'm zoomed out. Anybody, like the zoom fatigue is just so real that there's just times where I just turn my camera off and I just want to just go in the other room and get a sandwich and I'm not paying any attention to actually what's going on. And there's somebody who's still monologuing up front, right? There's somebody who's still leading that meeting as if I'm fully present. And I, I just have these wonders sometimes, especially when I'm leading the meeting, what the percentage of the audience is that actually is like getting a sandwich completely checked out, cameras off, uh, teachers, can I get an amen? Like I, I'm just, I'm, I'm watching my kids on their Zoom school calls sometimes and they are completely, they're just not there at all. Uh, and so I, I, I don't want Sunday to feel like another environment where there's a monologue happening and there's a group of people that are checked out and and so we wanted to create kind of some space just to kind of have these kind of dialogue conversations. Uh, and so today, Douglas and I, uh, we gathered questions last week from our community about the things that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. And so if you haven't been here for the last six to eight weeks, uh, there's a podcast that's great. You can catch up on all of that. Uh, and, and we'll try and catch you up a little bit on the conversation we're having. But we want to kind of just have a community conversation about what we've been talking about. Bring your questions to the surface and dialogue about those. So do you want to kind of just catch us up on where we've been? Any, any thoughts you have as we jump in today? Yeah, and there were, there were about 12 questions or so. And so what we tried to do was bring them all together into five yeah. Um, and so if you, you remember a few weeks back when we began, we were speaking about the vision and values of Grace Marietta. Who, just a show of hands, who remembers any of that? Who, who could recite the Grace mission? What's the first word? That's good. Awaken each other to live, in a, in a, live kingdom dreams in a... That, oh, okay. okay. We're okay. getting there. Let's We're getting it. there. There was some it. mumbling through that. Throwing that might have been candy. the masks. It might Throwing have just been candy. that you don't know. Throwing out candy. All right. Um, and, and, and then we, we spoke a little bit about the values. And out of that, though, um, the, the whole essence of this is not just about a church vision, a church mission statement. It's more important that, that each of you gets a sense of where you fit in this. Um, and so a lot of the conversation was about um, moving from a season of orientation when you have a sense of what God has said to you for your life, but then God leads you through a, a disorienting time when you're not quite sure where you are, it, it might feel a little bit like being in a wilderness for a time and how God can begin to reshape vision to a season where you are reoriented into something brand new. This thing's going to do this. I'm going to change my... Is this me? 
frequency. All right. We've got a backup. Hey. Am I supposed to be talking right now? No, it's fine. I can just talk and say. So what Douglas was saying was that we, we, <laughs> we, we thought this might happen because we haven't used two microphones uh, on different frequencies in the same morning. And so there was always the potential um, that they would hate each other. Uh, which is exactly what happened there. Um, and, and, and in addition to that, um, I, I suppose the, the most important thing is understanding what a kingdom dream is. How many of you could say that you understand what a kingdom dream is? How many of you could say that you understand what your sense of a kingdom dream is? So that's, not, that's, that's, that's a few people. And so the purpose of what we're doing here is to get everybody closer uh, to a place where you have a clear sense of what God has called you in to not just what God has called someone else into while you do nothing, and we watch other people perform and, and, and live into the thing that God has called them into, but so somehow, each of us, every one of us, is activated into living the life that God wants for us. Yes, and I think the key to that is the, viewing the church as an equipping place. All right, so the church is not the place where we go to every week to consume religious goods and services. It's actually the place where we become equipped to live our daily lives on mission. And so it's the place where we gather together here on Sunday so that we can go throughout the week. So I've got this grid. I stole this from my friend Dave Rhodes. But in this grid, this is kind of where we started a few weeks ago. And we started with this idea that the invitation for most people when they start coming to a church is three invitations. The first is we want you to attend. Right? We just want your butt in the seat. We want attendance. Uh, the second thing is we want you to connect. Uh, and the third thing is we want you to serve. So we want you to attend, connect, and serve. And, and I don't know about you guys, but growing up, this was the invitation I always received from pastors and leaders in the church is we want you to come. And if you really want to be great, then bring a friend, right? Bring a friend with you. And, and then if you want to go a step further, you can join a small group, right? And you can connect. You can get in smaller groups of leaders and you can connect to people. And if you're super holy, you can volunteer on Sunday, right? You can serve in the kids area. You can lead a small group. You can be a greeter. You can help run sound, all of those different things. And all of those things are good, and all of those things have to happen in order for a church to work, right? We, we would not be a very good church if no one attended, no one connected, and no one served. I've been to that church, uh, and it's not a very fun one <laughs> to attend. And, and so then we go a little further on this, and we talk about, all right, let's, let's even take this a step further than just that invitation to attend, connect, and serve. And, and, and then you, it gets really serious when you become a member, right? I'm going to become a member of the church. Uh, we don't talk about membership here at Grace Marietta, but we do talk about partnership. We, we ask people to become partners of the church. And then from a member, we actually say, I'm going to go become a missionary. So I'm going to actually discover my kingdom dream. I'm actually going to go into the world around me, and I'm going to start living into my mission, and I'm going to allow the church to orient my life around mission in my everyday life so that I'm being trained here to actually view my workplace as a missions field to view my neighborhood as a missions field, to view my everyday life as this missions opportunity. And then lastly, what we wanna do is we wanna become multipliers of that. We don't wanna simply just live on mission, but we want to multiply missionaries. We wanna make disciples who make disciples. 
And so here's what I, I, I train pastors and leaders all the time in my other job. So I, I run an organization called Gravity Leadership where we train pastors. And so I'm on the phone every week with a bunch of different pastors. We're dialoguing and talking and training about all of the different things that are going on. And one of the things that I hear from pastors over and over again is all my people do is show up and want to get in a small group and maybe I can get them to volunteer. And the question that I ask them is, is that's all you've invited them into. Because if that's all we've been invited into, we can't be frustrated when that's what we're doing. And so I would suggest that the American church has tilted so that we, we, we achieve one of these funnels without the other. We've tilted so that we create big services where people can connect in small groups and people can serve to make the service run. And what we do as pastors is we say, this is the dream or the kingdom dream of the church, and here's 50 ways you can sign up to be a part of it. You can be in a small group, you can lead this, you can help with this, you can show up, you can do these kinds of things. And that's been the only invitation that we've given the church. And what we're suggesting at Grace Marietta is there's a larger invitation at stake. Can we leave that up there for just a second? There's a larger in invitation at stake, and that is that there's a calling on each of our lives to go and make disciples. It's Jesus' last statement to his disciples. Go and make disciples. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, at the ends of the earth. Start at home, expand, and grow, and go out, and, and move into the world and make disciples. And so we want to become an equipping place that helps and trains you to make disciples. So I want you just to hold this over our conversation today uh, and, and just kind of remember this as what we're trying to do is not neglect attending, connecting, and serving. All of those things have to happen, right? We, we need people in the church. We want the church to grow. We, we want people in small groups. We want people living on mission. We want people serving and volunteering. It has to happen every week in order for us to do the things that we do. Uh, we, we have to have people helping us with technology. We have to have people greeting us at the door. We have to have people who are helping with our kids downstairs. We've got to have all of these things happen. But there's a bigger calling than just making the church work on Sundays. Can I get an amen? Amen. Right? There is a bigger calling on our life than growing a big church. There's a bigger calling on our lives than having the best show in town. There's a greater invitation, and that is us for, for us to become missionaries in our everyday life and for us to become multipliers in our everyday life. Um, so here's the first question that we got. And, and what we did was we kind of categorized some of these questions. So the questions may not be worded exactly how the question asker worded it because we're combining certain questions to make the question work. Here's the first question. The first question was, I'm just a mom and view that as my calling. So where do I fit into all of this? All right. Can, I, I want to start with one word in that question. You know what word I'm going to start with? Just. Right? I'm going to start with just. I'm just a mom. As if mom is a small calling or an insignificant calling or, or, or like the only, I'll be honest with you guys, the only reason I'm a believer is because of my mom. Right? The only reason I follow Jesus is because my mom discipled me, because she poured into me, because she taught me the Bible, because she prayed for me. My, my mom still thinks I'm Billy Graham, right? So like to this day, like my mom is the one who keeps encouraging me and sending me out. So, so we got to take the word just out of any of our callings, right? I'm not talking about just for moms. I'm talking about for anybody, uh, sometimes what we view is we view our assignment as insignificant because we see somebody else's assignment as more important or more significant or bigger. 
Uh, all of us have different assignments. Scripture talks very thoroughly about this. All of us have different gifts. All of us have different places to play. All of us have different things that we do. And there is no insignificant assignment in the kingdom of God. Uh, also, I, I want to say, I think sometimes we have primary assignments and then we have seasonal assignments. Right? So based on your season of life, there are seasons where your assignment might shift. So right now, I have kids at home. I've got an 18-year-old, a 16-year-old, and an 11-year-old at home. And so a lot of my life is based around driving them to practices. Right? A lot of my life is based around helping life work for them and loving them and serving them and discipling them and pouring into them. That's a seasonal assignment for me. It's not that my kids are going to go away and I'm going to stop discipling them, stop loving them, stop caring for them, stop investing for them. But the seasonal amount of investment that I invest in my children now will shift as they grow older. I'm told, Right? So my, my oldest is 18 now. He's going to college next year. And I recognize that my, my responsibility will shift with him as he goes off to college. I won't be the one that's driving him everywhere. I won't be the one, like, we'll have different kinds of conversations next year. Uh, and then I realize that as he gets married in the future, right, five, 10 years down the road, that my... My, my assignment shifts again, and the way that I interact with him shifts again, and, and there's this seasonal interaction into how we do things, um, but there's a primary assignment that we have, which is all of us are called to a specific purpose and a specific thing. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 says, he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood and womanhood and to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of human doctrine and cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. But rather, speaking the truth in love, we grow up in every way into him who is the head, Christ. So this is what it's saying. All of us. Did you catch that? Some are called to be apostles. Some are called to be... But, but all of us have an assignment. So there's no, like, you don't have an assignment because you're really busy over here. Our kingdom assignment doesn't get trumped by a busy schedule. Our kingdom assignment doesn't get trumped because I have a really busy work at, well, a season at work. Now, our kingdom assignment may shift during that time. And so what I want to encourage you to do is think about how do you overlap your kingdom assignment with your current activities? Uh, can we get that graphic back up of the funnels? Because I want to give you guys just a real simple example of my own life right now. So um, my son plays basketball which means I'm at basketball games multiple times a week. Uh, and I'm going to go, I'm, I, I've just made a commitment at, to the church. I actually said this when they hired me. I will be at all my children's uh, sports activities, whatever that they're a part of, I will be there. Uh, my number one assignment is not the church, it's my family. Uh, that's my primary assignment. And so as I think about basketball and my son, I could just be the fan that attends. All right, so I could just show up every week, watch his games, cheer real loud, encourage him, and just be there. I could go a step further, and I could start connecting with other parents. 
Uh, I'm a little bit of an introvert. I know it doesn't feel like that when I'm preaching, um, but I'm, I'm awkward with people and I don't start conversations well. And so that's not in my wheelhouse. So I would need to be encouraged, but maybe I start talking to other parents and building relationships there and talking about what they did over the weekend or invite them over to dinner or something like that. Do some sort of connecting. I could start serving. I could say, you know what? I'm going to um, work the concession stand uh, once every three games or something like that. I could run the scoreboard. I know how to press those buttons. I, I've become an expert in those kinds of things. But, but what I'm understanding, what I'm viewing of my kingdom calling is if I'm going to be there anyway, I might as well make this a missional and a multiplying activity. So what I've done is I actually coach my son's teams. I actually uh, disciple the kids that are a part of our community. I actually spend time with them. Yesterday, I was in the gym for four hours with boys, and then it felt like I spent two hours uh, talking to them over text. After church today, there's a group of boys that are meeting us down at the courts right there at 1230 uh, with another one of the coaches to hang out and spend time with. And so here's what I'm thinking. This is what I'm thinking when I'm doing this. I'm already doing this. Why not make it missional? Does that make sense? Like, I'm, already, I'm gonna be there sitting there either way. So why not make it missional? Uh, and so when I talk to moms or people who say, this is just my kingdom assignment, I, I think there's a way that you can be a mom where you're just attending, connecting, and serving, and, and you're really serving your own kids. And you may be a missionary and a multiplier with your own children, but I wanna encourage you to think about how do I become a missionary and a multiplier with other people's kids? If I'm gonna be at the park once a week, What does it look like for me not just to take my kids to the park, but to invite multiple mothers and their kids to the park and pray together and encourage one another? What does it look like for us to actually take time? So if you're already going to be doing something, how do you make it missional and and make that shift for this is actually, maybe this is a possibility for me to understand my kingdom assignment? I actually think your life is calling out to you your kingdom assignment. Right? That inside of your life, you will find it. And so that's why I'm so excited about Launch Labs and Discover Labs and those kinds of things. I want to encourage every person, everybody in the church to sign up for those Discover Labs where we're discovering our kingdom dream and we're starting to zero in on what's my calling and what's my seasonal assignment, what's my primary assignment, what's the thing that God's calling me and how do I orient my life around mission so that I'm not just attending, connecting, and serving, but I'm actually going and making disciples on the road. I just talked too long, Douglas, sorry. Question number two. Question two. <laughs> <laughs> now, the, the second question we were asked is, where, where is all of this in the Bible? Um, where, where do we get this? And how did the mission statement originate? So let me talk about how the mission statement originated first, so the second part of that. It was a, it was a season of praying and discerning a whole lot. If you think about a, one of our values is, is hearing the whisper, which is about collectively co-discerning. So it's not about what one person thinks or a couple people thinks. It's, it's a real clear sense of who are we? Why are we here in this place, this place that this church is located, in this time in history, with the giftings, the callings we have, and the passion that we have, the things that we care about most, the things that we might care about more than anyone else cares about. And out of that, you begin to get a sense of a shape of what could be a, a mission statement for Grace Marietta. And that's not necessarily a, a mission statement for a church that may have been planted a couple hundred yards either way down the road because God has called particular people to be here in this place. 
Um, but but the, it, the, there's a sense that the, the mission statement that we have includes principles from a couple of places. The first is Ephesians 2.10, which you'll see in the slide. It says, we are his workmanship. We're God's workmanship. We're God's masterpiece. And if you think of God painting or constructing or building a masterpiece, it means that every one of us is playing a, a piece, a part, a role in whatever the big picture that God has. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, Good works that he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so you see how that's being reflected in the mission statement. But in addition to that, um, there's some principles from Ephesians um, 5 verses 10 to 14, which includes the passage, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. There's a sense, if you want to look at Ephesians 5, 10 to 14, that light exposes darkness. And so the sense of awakening each other is a sense of bringing light to bear on what might be darkness. And we decided that there's no way that we could say that we are the ones that have all the light in a pejorative, a judgmental sense about the world. We have the light, it's to awaken who? Each other. And so the light in me is to help shine light on you and the light in you is to shine light on me. And so as we begin to awaken one another, we all awaken together to live kingdom dreams in a world that is fast asleep, awake or sleep or arise from the dead is the sense in which our entire world, apart from the light of Christ, apart from knowing him, is dead. And so our calling as Christians is to bring the light of God into those situations where there is death. But death, death is not just simple. Death is progressive in many senses. We can be dead because we're just living in a way that we have no clue what God's called us to. Or we could, we could know what God's called us to and we could have just decided that we don't want to do it. Because one of the things that Ben was, you realize that when Ben was talking, I was thinking of this as a parable of the sower. And in the parable of the yeah. sower, it begins with a word that God, that, 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 that is sowed and the devil comes and snatches it away. And so that's telling us that actively you may get a sense of something that God's birthed in you or wants you to do or prepared you to do from before the beginning of time. But Satan snatches it away and he's working actively to stop you grasping and understanding it. But then if you do grasp it and understand it, the parable tells us that the next thing is it springs up quickly and you, you have no root. And when opposition comes because of the thing that you're called to, you just quit. But the third one's really trouble, troubling because it says that there's thorns that come and choke the word. And what are the thorns? Described as the cares and concerns of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. The cares and concerns of the world, the deceitfulness of riches. What's that? That's what the world cares about. So if your life is filled with the things that the world cares about, and you love your family as much as the world loves their family, and you care about houses and building houses and working and businesses as much as the world does, then that could be problematic because those could be things that are choking your kingdom dream. And so you may need someone to say, look, wake up. Wake up, open your eyes. God's calling you to something more than this, something bigger than this, something more, something more, more, more problematic and troublesome for you because you might have to leave some stuff behind. That's how we awaken each other to live a kingdom dream in a world that is fast asleep. But also, if you want to find the term kingdom dreams in one place, do you think it's in the Bible? Who can find the word kingdom dreams in the Bible anywhere? All right, who can find the word trinity in the Bible anywhere? Interesting. So when we read the Bible, we've got to have a concept of doctrine. There's a word, it's an old word that we don't like, which is when you read the Bible and you grasp something that God is saying and you piece it together from different things, in different places and you come up with a sense of something that, that is clear and you try and communicate that in the clearest way that you can. But there's an interesting passage in 2 Timothy 2.9, which you're gonna see on the slide, which says this, God has saved us. How many of us? 
all of us. And so we focus in Christianity and getting saved. But look, does it stop there and call us with a holy calling? I have a real clear sense that if you substituted, called us with a kingdom dream in there, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Mm. And, and whether you wanted to call it a holy calling or a kingdom calling or a kingdom dream, what was important to us was to have language that didn't sound like this small little sect of Christianity that has this difficult old 2,000-year-old word, words that no one else gets. So if you say, I'm pursuing my holy calling to your neighbor, they say, huh? You say, I'm pursuing my kingdom calling to your neighbor, they say, huh? So I'm living my kingdom dream. Come on. And you communicate something, but we know what we're talking about. So if you want to know where it is in the scripture, I'm saying to you that that's ultimately the closest I think we get to that, not according to our works, but grace that was given to us before time began. So God, just like he said to Jeremiah, he knew you before you were born. And he designed you and purposed you for a particular purpose that is his kingdom purpose. And so our life's about not stopping at the finish line of being saved. But once we're saved, once we're kingdom people, working out why. And the trouble with Christianity is it's a bit like what you were saying earlier. We call people to attend and then to connect and then to serve. And we draw a finish line there. I think we've drawn a finish line in Christianity after being saved. I'm saved. Yeah. And then the balance of my Christianity is to sit and watch someone else. Or worse than that, it's to invite people to the church so that the minister can preach a gospel sermon for them to respond to. That's not it, is it? God has saved us and called every one of us, every one of you, with a holy calling. Whatever it is, the kingdom dream, the holy calling, the kingdom calling, however you want to describe it, is to work out what God has called you to and as best as possible to live into it. And you see the word dream does something, doesn't it? It tells me that it's something I've got to see with my imagination, that it's not easy to fathom. And having seen it, I've got to, I've got to try and work out what it is. And having worked out what it is, I've got to try and grasp it. And having grasped it, I've got to, got to try, and, try, and, try and make sense of it. And having made sense of it, I've got to work out how I can live it. Yeah. See how a word just brings this whole thing alive? That's why we call them kingdom dreams and not holy callings. Yeah, that's good. And I, just as a pastor, I really appreciate the Bible police and all the emails you all send me. Uh, question three. That was a joke, sorry. <laughs> what is the vehicle to gather those of us who have the same kingdom dreams, and how do we prayerfully discern together and encourage one another? Uh, this is a great question. Uh, the, the, the short answer to this is we're developing some programs that we're inviting everybody into. Um, now, I hate to go back to the attend, connect, serve uh, mantra, but if you don't attend these programs, they won't go well. Uh, so we do need some attendance on some of these. Uh, but the idea for us is, the, here's the process, is we want to become a community that encourages every single one of us to follow their kingdom calling and step into their kingdom dream in their everyday life. We want to encourage every single person in this room and equip them to go. And so in order to do that, two things need to happen. One is we need to have a, 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 a venue where we can discover our kingdom dreams, 
where people who are saying, I'm not sure what my kingdom dream is, which I think is one of the questions that's coming, uh, is how do they discover that? How do you find out what your kingdom dream is? How do you discern what your kingdom dream is? How do you step into a kingdom dream? And then secondly is how do you launch into that? And so we've got discover groups and launch groups. And launch groups are not just about discovering and figuring out what that is, but it's actually about launching it. And so the Discover Groups, Discover Lab that's coming up in March, that's going to be one gathering for two days. We're going to gather in this room. We're going to go through a bunch of personal exercises for you. We're going to talk about dreams. We're going to talk about vision. We're going to talk about your life. We're going to talk about your spiritual gifts. We're going to give this huge inventory of spiritual giftedness and spiritual gifts tests on your life, personality tests and all of these kinds of things. And we're going to look at all of this and say, all right, what is God saying to us through our life? Like, what does this tell us about our calling? And what does this tell us ab- about the future? And then the second group, the Launch Lab, is actually, okay, now how do I actually launch this so that I become a multiplier, not just a missionary? Right? How do I launch this in such a way that I can invite other people into it and step into this in, in a really good way? Uh, our founding pastor, Buddy Hoffman, used to always use the phrase, we cultivate what we celebrate. It's actually the most quoted thing I hear of Buddy uh, other than preach the Bible. Uh, those are the two things I hear in buddy voice every time I hear it. Um, but we cultivate what we celebrate. And so one of the ways that we want to create a culture of celebration is every time these launch labs start, we're going to do a Sunday night prayer gathering. We're going to invite the whole church, almost like a shark tank kind of thing, where each group is going to come up. We're not going to vote on whether we kick them out or give them money or anything like that. That would be a different kind of church. Uh, I think I've been to that one also, uh, but, but we're going to have them come up and give their ideas, share their dream to the church. We're going to pray for them, send them out. We're going to do the biblical thing, which is the laying of hands of the elders and the sending for each of those groups. And then we're also going to say to the community, um, maybe this isn't your kingdom dream, but maybe you feel like you're called to support them, to walk beside them, to care for them, to help make this kingdom dream work for this year. And so maybe that's a seasonal assignment for you, is right now, I don't have the margin to start something new, to create some kind of big vision kind of thing, but what I can do is support somebody else's kingdom dream that I believe in. And so if you've got a heart for foster care, and there's a launch group that's starting with foster care as the initiative, then step into that and help serve them. If you've got a heart for the poor and the oppressed, and there's a launch group that's starting that, then step into that. If you've got a heart to bless and to serve at-risk kids, and there's a launch group that's starting that, then step into that and bless one another, and and we'll see these kinds of things launch and go, and and we as a community can kind of come alongside of these. So so here's what excites me about launch groups, is, is a lot of versions of community groups in churches Uh, All that happens in them is community. And community is really, really good, right? We want community. We want you to connect to one another. We want fellowship of the believers. We want that connection point. But what happens is it just becomes a connection point. So we gather around a meal. We gather in a home. We Sometimes we open a book and kind of do some classroom discipleship. Um, But here's the thing that excites me about uh, launch groups and this kind of vision of where we're headed is launch groups, there's going to be connection, There's going to be meals. There's going to be groups of people gathering around things together. But there's also going to be discipleship. And the discipleship is not discipleship in a classroom. It's discipleship on the road. 
When Jesus decided to disciple his disciples, what did he do? He didn't say, we're gonna go to the synagogue and we're gonna rent it on Mondays and Wednesdays and Thursdays for a couple hours and we're gonna read through the book of Jeremiah and I'm gonna teach you some things and then we might watch a video of Francis Chan or Beth Moore, right? (laughs) Jesus did not use that method, but the church does use that method. And so what we often do is we disciple in a classroom, but we don't ever disciple in real life. We're not actually discipling on the road. We're not actually discipling as we're doing things. And so what happens is we grow in our knowledge, but we don't grow in our competency, in our kingdom competency, in our giftedness, and in our abilities, and in our faith, and in our trust. We have to actually step out in faith and try some things and grow in it and realize I'm not very good at this, and so I need to get better at it so that our kingdom competencies grow. And so what happens in launch groups is both community happens, discipleship happens, and mission happens. So rather than us having three different programs, right? House churches, you can sign up for community. Uh, This program, you can sign up to live on mission. And this program, you can sign up to do discipleship. We're saying, we actually want to just invite you into one program that says you can accomplish all of those things in one space. Does that make sense? All right, next question. Um, question four was, I still struggle to identify what my kingdom dream is and how I can live into it. If I'm uncertain um, what my calling is, um, what shall I do? Uh, you could do nothing. Um, or you could begin by counting the cost. Um, just, just occurred to me as we're sitting there that Jesus says to people that, that before we begin something, work out what it's going to cost before you do it. Because the danger of going after the kingdom dream is that you might find what it is. (laughs) And then what happens? Because you see then those scriptures when Jesus says, if anyone follows me and he doesn't hate this and that, his mother, his father, his brother, his own life even, then he can't be my disciple. And so the danger of seeking after what God's called me to do and to be is that if you find out what it is, it might be difficult. Because every kingdom dream isn't just some glamorous thing that we're going to do that is wonderful and exciting and, and fun. It might be and probably is going to be costly. I think that's the nature of the calling, which is why we know that with God, it's possible. But otherwise, it's impossible. And so, and so I'm encouraging you to get past the do-nothing point. Yeah. But to get past the do-nothing point with the sense of the word, when it says a holy calling, it's saying that this is something that God wants you to do. And that if God wants me to do it, there's nothing greater than I can do, that I can do than to do the thing that God designed me for, built me for, because other than being in alignment with that, I'm not living in the right space. So never walk into it with fear, because to walk in the will of God is the most precious thing of all. Amen. Better one day in your house, better one day in your will, than thousands of days and years elsewhere. So start with that. And so, and so having started with recognizing that this is a holy calling, as I begin to walk into it, it's almost like you've got to take your shoes off because I'm about to walk into something that I'm going to understand the purpose that God made me for from before the beginning of time, and that's going to be a serious thing. But then when you begin to press into that, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to pray. You've got to pray just like Paul prayed for the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. He says he prays that the eyes of their understanding might be enlightened that God would give them a spirit of wisdom, a spirit of revelation, that you recognize that to ask God what you were meant to be, you've got to begin to see with spiritual eyes. This isn't something that you're going to see naturally, and so the majority of the work is the work of prayer. A majority of the work is the work of spiritual discernment. But in addition to that, the Scripture says in Romans 12, 2, that it says we should not be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed. So you begin, you realize there that it has to then begin a process of not thinking like the world thinks, walking by faith and not by sight, prioritizing the things that are kingdom things rather than the things that are worldly things. And it says that as we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, which is, I believe, an active leaning into this process of saying, God, I'm going to work out how you think. I'm going to work out how you've spoken to men and women throughout the ages of history and throughout the scriptures. I'm going to work out, are you speaking to me in the same way? And as you're praying and God's enlightening your mind and giving you wisdom and understanding, you might find that it says that in order that you prove that you know what is the three things here, the good will of God. So you know the good thing that you're called to do, the acceptable thing that you're called to do, and perfect thing that you're called to do. And if you think what is acceptable, it's not just acceptable to God, but acceptable also to you. Delight in the Lord, the scripture says, and he will give you the desires of your heart. A minister in London used to always say to me that we just commit to pressing after God and just going hard after God. And if you go hard after God, you might find that the desires of your heart leave. And that the thing that you wanted to do, that you wanted to be a world dictator, it just goes out the way. And, and, <laughs> and where did that go? I don't want to be one of those anymore. And, and, and the, the thing I want to do to do this and that, that's gone. But instead, if, what if you're going hard after God and there's still things in your heart then? And you might find yourself in a place that the thing in your heart is the thing in God's heart. And that's how you move from being awake to his will to aligning with his will. And then you realize when you walk in those things that you live in a place that you are alive. And there's no greater joy than to be in the place that is the will of God. But practically, as Ben said, so this is another plug, come to Discover Labs. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Come to Discover Labs. So there's a slide going to go up. Hopefully, it's going to tell us when it is. When is it? Anybody in doubt? It is on March the... 12th and 13th. March the... Register online. March the... 12th and 13th. I can see you all rushing to put that on your calendars. There goes Ryan Tuttle putting it in. (laughs) Oh, is it just a cup? Calendar in a cup. <laughs> um, but, but let's explain to you what we're going to do there. So in the same way, as when, the same way as when we try to discern who we are, what we're passionate about, and what the problem that we're called to, to, to meet, we're going to do the same thing with individuals. There are three concentric, three circles that inter- overlap. And if you think about yourself in this way, that the person you are is who God has made you to be. Who has God made me to be? And it's not who has God made me to be as I see it, but who has God made me to be when I begin to see myself in the light of his truth, when he tells me that I'm this and I'm that because that's how he made me to be. And that's when you begin to rejoice in some things that you can't do. You can't sing a high C. Man, you ain't meant to be a tenor opera singer. And then you can rest in that. Yeah, I remember when I was a kid growing up, I was really upset that I couldn't sing uh, high A uh, even. Uh, and one day someone says, because you're not a tenor, you're a baritone. And it's like, oh. But that's going to happen to every one of us in every respect. You're going to discover there's some things that I can do well and some things that I can't do at all. And God's telling you that if I'd wanted you to do the things you can't do, I would have made you to do that. But remember that passage in, um, in 2 Timothy 1, it talked about according to his grace. So we always got to pay attention to when God's given us grace to do and to be something that we don't think that we can do. And when you look through the callings of men and women in the scriptures, you see that God always confronts them with this revelation when he shines a mirror and shines a bright light on them and says that you, you can do this thing. You, Gideon, mighty man of valor. And Gideon says, who? 
God calls it out of him. God says, I see you and I designed you to be this thing. He says to Moses, and Moses' whole experience with God at the burning bushes, no, I'm not that, I'm not that, I'm not that, I'm not that, I'm not that. And, and he's like, God's like, who, who am I? Who's talking to you? Who's telling that you can? You see, the realization of the person is not just simple, it's revelation. The second thing, the second overlapping circle is what are you passionate about? I'm not passionate about it in the sense that you just like it, but what are you passionate about that God is also passionate about? What do you see that when you see it, you know that God sees it too? That when you see suffering, when you see poverty, when you see injustice, when you see a need, when you see some lack, you know also that this is something that God has put in your heart and generally it can be even contrary to your own will. Because you realize that Jesus, son of God, which actually becomes the place that the devil tempts him if you are the son of God, that's his person, that's who he is. But what's he passionate about? He's passionate about the death on the cross. But even he has to wrestle with the place and saying in Gethsemane that God, if there's, if there's another way to achieve this thing that I'm passionate about, which is the redemption of humanity, if there's another way, then let's come up with it. But ultimately, he's passionate to death to do the thing that his father put in his heart and designed him to do. And you see that that looking at the problem is the third thing. The problem, the predicament, the plight, whatever word you want to use, that makes the third circle. What is it that I see? And for God, God so loved the passion, the world that he gave his son to fix the problem of sin. And you can do this with every person in the scripture. You can find out who they were as God designed them to be. You can find out the thing they were passionate about. Moses was passionate about freeing the Israelites. How passionate, so passionate that he killed an Egyptian. 40 years later, he realizes that that wasn't the way that they were going to get free, that God had another way to do it, but it took a, a, a matter of patience and it took the encounter with the burning bush. But ultimately, it's the same problem that he fixes, which is to free his people. And so you see, we all talk about in, in Discover Labs, we'll talk about what the intersection of the two circles are, those little uh, weird little arrow-shaped bits. But in the middle is what we're most importantly trying to reach which is where those three things overlap, who you are as God designed you, what you're passionate for as God packed that passion into your heart. And the problem that you see somewhere in the middle of that is your holy calling, your kingdom calling, your kingdom dream. That's good, that's good. Frederick Buechner, one of my favorite writers, says this. He says, the place where the world's deep hunger and your great gladness meet is the place that God has called you. And, and, and one of the things that's really beautiful about wor us working this out in community is there's things that others can see in you that need to be called out, right? There are giftedness, there are abilities, there's things and qualities that others can see in you that you can't quite see in yourself. And so having a community around you that can call out the things of God, right? It, the, the, the scriptures talk about... Um, preaching the gospel to one another, or sharing good news with one another. That's part of the sharing good news. It's not just the gospel of Christ died, he resurrected, he saved us, now live for him. The gospel is also the good news of he actually created us to do good works in his name also, and he prepared for us for those in advance, and we can do it. That's good news, right? A proclamation of the gospel is you can do it. 
right? God has gifted you. He's, he, he's given you the abilities. He's, 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 he's equipped you to do all of these things. And so together, we want to sort these things out. So in the first couple iterations of this, one of the things that's been most fun is just watching the group interact with each other, bounce ideas back and forth, encourage one another, say, you know, this is what I see in you. This is where God has gifted you. And seeing people begin to step into all of those things, it's been pretty fun and pretty amazing. Can I just, just say something? And that, that calling stuff out about one another is so important because often you just don't see it yourself and you don't like it. Yeah, I got a wife here. I, my, my side hustle <laughs> is, is writing musical dramas and, and operas and musical theater. But if my wife hadn't taken me to see Les Miserables in whatever year that was, 1985, and I'm walking down Shaftesbury Avenue in London, I get this almighty sense that just falls on me that you're meant to do that. Mm. Then what? And if that same wife hadn't started giving me books on score and music theory... <laughs> Yeah, then I'm like, what are you giving me this for? It's just all jargon. I would never have got myself to the place that I could write that stuff and communicate that stuff. And so we're called to look at one another and say, I see something in you that, yes. that, that, is, that is deeper than, than, than the flesh. And I see it with spiritual eyes. And if I don't tell you about it, and if I don't hold you to account and challenge your paradigm in a way that, that is as shocking as the burning bush experience, then you don't get anywhere. Yeah. Um, and so we're meant to do that for one another. And so don't just come to Discover Labs for yourself because that would be selfish. <laughs> but come because you want to be part of the community that helps other people discern yeah. their kingdom dream because much of it's going to be saying, this is who I am. And if someone says to you, look, I see this in you. I see this in you. And I, I've been praying and I've seen this in you. As you just said something, I thought of something. That whole experience is part of how we journey together and we co-discern and we hear the whisper. Yeah, we're better together. And like we talked about last week, we talked about specific encouragement, right? Because oftentimes what happens is our criticism is specific and our encouragement is vague. And so we talked about specific encouragement. I hope you guys have been walking in that this week and been thinking about that, about the people you love and around you, of how do I specifically encourage the people around me and tell them specific things about what I see in them and what God's doing. Last question uh, is, I'm stuck in disorientation and I'm having trouble aligning with God's purposes in my life. So how do I navigate this space. So I think we've got a, a grid here to illustrate kind of this idea of being stuck in the desert. And so we talked about this idea of orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. And that this is the journey of transformation in any area of our life, is we're oriented to a specific way, then there's some level of disorientation that happens that causes us to go into the desert, that causes us to reevaluate, that causes us to rethink, that causes us to step into a space that we don't necessarily want to step into, but we know that that space is necessary in order that we might reorient our lives around the kingdom of God and the principles of God for our life. And so any bit of transformation in our life takes our head, our heart, and our hands. Right? I don't, we, we've gotten caught up in the church of just transforming our minds without transforming our hearts and our hands and our feet to actually go do the work that God has called us to. And so disorientation moves us into a space where we actually have to walk into something new in order to discover something new. And so we get stuck in that space. And so a, a, a few things, a, a few pieces of advice if you're stuck in that space. One is you just have to push through it. And I know that that's not good news for anybody. Right? When you're in the middle of the desert, the last thing you want is to have somebody say to you, keep going. Or the worst part about it is when you're in the middle of the desert and you can look back and looking back seems just a little closer than going forward. And so it feels so much easier to run back to what you were doing before than actually pressing on through the other three-fourths of the desert. You don't want to hear, keep pushing. 
Keep going through. But this is why we need to be a community that encourages one another to live kingdom dreams. Right? We want to awaken kingdom dreams in each other so that we might live them. And so we're encouraging one another, we're speaking the truth to one another, but we're also living them. And one of the ways that we live this out is we walk through the deserts that we've been called to. Because you don't get to the promised land without walking through the desert. You can run back to Egypt as many times as you want, but you'll never experience the breakthrough that the Father has for you until you actually enter into that space. Uh, one of my mentors used to say that, that there's, there's this like pit that we all fall in in our lives. And in that pit, there's gold at the bottom. But we're pain averse and we want out of the pit the moment we get there. And so the moment something hurts, the moment something's uncomfortable, the moment we don't feel competent, the moment we feel confused, the moment it's hard, the moment our pastor asks us to come on March 12th and 13th for two whole days, we want to bail and go back to what's easy rather than actually enter into the space that is difficult. And then the, the second thing I would say is hold on to the truth of who God is in that space. Because the only way I keep moving through that space is faith. And faith is developed by what? By perseverance. Faith is developed by long obedience in the same direction. It's developed by trust. And so the only way I get through the desert is I keep trusting uh, on the principles of God. So I trust that God is present and he's at work. Even when things aren't good. Right? We've talked about this a lot around here. The, the theology that we carry oftentimes is if it's good, then God is present. If it's bad, God is absent. But scripture teaches us that God is present in all of it. He's in all of it, every moment. In the air we breathe, he's in all of it. And so even when things are bad, God is working and he's doing something and he's actually working something for what? For our good in the middle of those deserts. The second thing is that he meets you in reality. God doesn't meet us where we hope we'll meet him. He meets us where we really are. And so he meets us in our addiction. He meets us in our sin. He meets us in our failure. He meets us in our moments where we're completely incompetent and completely get it wrong. He meets us in those spaces just as much as he meets us in our holy spaces, just as much as he meets us in our righteous spaces. I would suggest that he actually meets us more in our failure than he does in our success. Third is that he sent you there for a reason. If you're walking through a desert and you're walking through a desert season in your life, there's a purpose there. And sometimes our deserts are caused by other people's choices. Sometimes our deserts are caused by our sin. Sometimes our deserts are caused by other people's sins. Sometimes our deserts are just simply the way that God gets our attention. And so he, he awakens us. Uh, and, and then the last thing I'll say is that God loves you enough to train you. He loves you enough to send you to spaces where it's going to be a little hard but the end result is good things and good works and grace on the other side of it. Uh, I was reading this morning, I was in Isaiah chapter 60, uh, and I was like Isaiah 60 through Isaiah 62, and I was amazed at how often in that text this phrase was, was mentioned, lift up your eyes. I think that's what we're talking about. When you're in the desert, when you're in disorientation, when you can't figure out what God is doing, where you're going, and it feels like it hurts and it's hard, Lift up your eyes, which means like change your perspective. Like take on a heavenly perspective. Take on a kingdom perspective. Get above the problem a little bit and begin to see with the eyes of God and ask the question, God, why? Why are you doing this? What's happening? And say, I trust you. I trust that good things are gonna come from this, but it's hard right now. It's difficult right now. It's challenging right now. And so we lift up our eyes. The truth is grumbling creates grumbling, right? 
You, you create a culture of grumbling. You, you, I don't know if you've ever been around like a workplace or where, where there's like one person that's negative and then they start influencing all the other people in negative and there's just little talks here and there and it just becomes a place where it just feels divisive and it feels like there's grumbling all the time. I don't know if you've ever been in a church that does that. That happens a lot in churches where there's like a couple negative people and they're recruiting other people to be negative into their negative crew and then all of a sudden everybody's negative or, or, or there's like this negative crew that just everything they say is negative over here and they just grumble all the time. Grumbling begets grumbling. But here's the good news, praise begets praise, right? When we praise the Lord in the middle of our difficulties, in the middle of our difficult circumstances, when we lift up our eyes, when we see a kingdom perspective, then that creates a culture of seeing a kingdom perspective. And so we actually have this choice in the middle of our desert of what we do. So this morning I was reading and I, found, I came across this liturgy and I was gonna have us read it together, but I think I'll just read it to us. Uh, this morning to wrap up, because I was thinking about this disorientation and this desert season, and for all of us as we walk through it, and the band's going to come up, and we're going to wrap up, and we're going to take communion as we close out the service, but I, I just wanted to read this to us, because as I've been thinking about the last year, year and a half, it feels like a disorienting season. It feels like a desert season, and so how do we act when we're in the desert? And I thought this writing was actually the right posture of how we respond in the desert. So I'm going to read it to you. I'm not a professional reader. I'm not an actor or singer or an opera writer. I can't hit a high C. I don't even know what a high C is. I think that's cool, like a drink, right? It's like orange juice. A high, can you hit a high C? Yeah, I can hit that orange juice. Um, here's what it says. We've come so far and we've left so much behind. We thought and we thought and we thought that we had arrived but we're beginning to see that we still have so far to go. We're not free yet. And today, answers still elude us. Stones in the path still trip us up, and nothing seems clear and nothing seems simple. So we wander, wondering what the next right step could be. And we want to cry out, really? We've come this far just to end up here? And we want to get out of here. We want to find an easy path, a less rocky path. We want to run and hide and find a safer, softer bed to lie in. But yet you keep calling us. You call us to be still. You call us to listen. You call us to stop right where we are right now in this space and to listen. You ask us to sit in the desolate to sit in the unknown and to look at our lives. So we cry and we scream and we confess and we see the names and we resist the gods before us and around us. We resist the gods of suspicion and division, the gods of fear and hate and violence and power, the gods of I'm right and you're wrong. And you call us to let go and to imagine another way forward. The problem is, is we're not sure how to get there but you keep calling us to believe that here in this desert, that here in this space, that here in this place, that here in the middle of disorientation, when we're struggling to find the way home, when we don't know what the answers are, where it feels like only pain is in front of us and only difficulties are there, that here in this spot, there is grace. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would teach us to find the grace of disorientation. 
I pray that you would teach us to be a community that urges each other on into the kingdom callings and kingdom dreams that you've provided for us. I pray that you would teach us and train us to not be trained in a classroom or in a holy circle or in a church, but that we would go outside the walls of this place and that your kingdom and your glory would go outside the walls. And I pray that you would teach us to be missionaries and multipliers. I I pray that you would teach us to lift our eyes and to see where you're working. And I pray that we would do all of this together and all of this in your holy and glorious name. So we thank you, Jesus. We thank you for each other. We thank you for this family that we call Grace Marietta. We thank you for these friends that sit beside us, these people that call us and encourage us. We thank you for the groups that we're a part of. But we also thank you for your perfect and good and acceptable will that is available to us. So we trust you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to move into a time of communion. As you came in, you got the juice and the bread. If not, it's on the tables here in the front and the back and then up in the balcony as well. And as we do, just maybe just spend a moment reflecting on this good news. That in the middle of the desert, God's there. That in the middle of disorientation, he's working. That in the middle of our waiting, he's doing something and producing something and good things are happening. And maybe pray about who is it that I can encourage this week to walk in their kingdom dreams? Who is it that I need to say, I see this in you and call out the good news of the kingdom in them? And who is it that God's calling me to stand beside and stand in the gap and serve and love? in this season. So let's move into a time of communion and worship, and then we'll wrap up today.